Hey folks, welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast and the Mindset Matters Edition, where I'm joined by my wife and Olympic mental performance coach, Stephanie hanlon Francie. Together, Stephanie and I engage in a conversation about different aspects of what we refer to as Mindset Matters. We believe that we're living in and through one of the most impactful global events in history. And let's face it, few have trained for or are equipped to deal with the life that is unfolding before them. The need to pivot in your business, your career, or perhaps deal with shifting family dynamics lies before many. We hope to inspire you to ask yourself questions or pause to consider how you view your world, your life. We'll invite you to check in on where you are on your journey, and are you still clear on your intended destination, or has it changed? Join us for this in our series of Mindset Matters. Listen in, enjoy. Hey folks, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Mindset Matters episode. Stephanie, welcome. Hey, hon. So we've got a topic that we're going to kind of take on around relationship and, you know, maybe some breakdown in relationship, perhaps a better way to communicate within relationship. Now you wanted to really bite into this, so you've got to lead the way. Where do you want to go with this? Well, I think the biggest thing is uh, relationship is generally based on conversations and conversations between people that either align on their values or disagree, agree, etc. can create positive environments for relationship to flourish or they can create breakdowns in relationship. And what I'm discovering, whether it's mindset or the way that we communicate with other people, not just with loved ones or our significant other or our primary relationship, it's also with what's going on in our own heads our own value systems, the filters that we are putting through, whether they're from the past or from the present or some expectations of the future. Relationships are key in all of our lives as human beings. So in this context, you're not just talking about partner type relationships, significant other type relationships. You're talking about friendship relationships. You're talking about business relationships, partner, business partner relationships. So you're talking all aspects of relationship. Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, well, I think that's where we can start maybe on the on a macro level and then drill down and and say, okay, well, we've had some interesting questions from some listeners about relationship and they and they laugh at our relationship and say, you know, we, we even poke fun at each other on the podcast or, you know, I can ask you to slow down, cowboy. And you don't get offended or you can tell me to, oh, call me whatever, a loser, but it doesn't offend me. So what has come up over the last little while around relationship is that how do how do you guys do relationship? How do we do relationship? And I think, you know, staring at you across on the podcast every week is um, is has been a real interesting journey because, like I said earlier, relationships are a conversation. And the conversation we're having with ourselves around our expectations, our assumptions, what we need, what we want, what we're able to give, not give, those kinds of things can be historically grounded in maybe some things we're not aware of. You know, think about Hallmark. Hallmark cards, you know, came up with Valentine's Day back in the 30s and 40s because they needed a new something day to sell more cards or, you know, sell candy and chocolates or whatever. So they created something called Valentine's Day. You know, it's like 
Mother's Day, Father's Day. We create all these days and then there's these expectations around them. So think about whether it's Disney, you know, the Disney princesses. So a lot of young girls who raised in that world of Disney and watching Disney princesses wanting to be a princess. And then there's the, the prince on the other side going, I don't even know what she wants, you know. And so we've got filters that go in into our primary or our intimate relationships, but those can also be transposed in my experience onto relationships that we have in business and friendship. And where are those entanglements? What's an entanglement and what's a relationship? It's easy to go down a path of entanglement in relationship. Now, I know one of the things that we were aware of it now, but we weren't before. And we hear often from friends and acquaintances that what we're known for is being generous and probably to a fault is what we've learned over the years, because it's not that we're consciously generous. It's just we're generous by nature. And that doesn't mean that we're writing checks all the time. It is really that we're generous, uh, we're, we're generous with our time. We're generous with our time, our energy, our insights, our sharing of wisdom. So we go into a relationship thinking about giving, not taking. And I think that really makes a difference in terms of how a relationship evolves. Now, we have a friend who we've known for a while, but what that particular friend is like is that now we find that it's not, he not, he's not bringing a ton to the relationship. He's always in wanting something. And there's a, a, a funny balance that's missing in that. Now we understand the psychology of this particular person and, and it's all good, but it really does. It's like, yeah, no, I I don't want to get together because I don't want, I don't feel like giving. Yeah. I don't feel like the, you know, cause somebody's there to take of time of energy, then it's more difficult to be in that relationship yet. He's a lovely person. Mm -hmm. So well, I think, you what know, do we do with that? To your, to your point there is that how do we define what a relationship is and, and what category do we put certain relationships in or, or how do we, you know, frame a relationship that we can. And one of the lines I've used over the years is give first, give first, then get. Mm -hmm. So even in business, I want to give first. I want to trust first. I want to give respect first. I'm, I'm not waiting to get. So if I, but then if I, it doesn't come back, then I have more information. I have feedback. Like, do I want to pursue this relationship? Do I want to pursue this partnership? Well, it's like seek first to understand then to be understood. But let's go back to what you just said is that I don't, and I don't believe we go into any relationship in terms of our generosity of time and energy and insights or whatever we share, because we're both kind of wired that way with an expectation of getting, you know, giving and receiving is in fact the same thing. And when we look at, Oh, don't, don't, don't step over that. Giving and receiving is the same thing. I think people think that if they're givers, then they're going to give and give and give and give and give, and they're never going to get anything back. That's not true. They're getting something out of being a giver, maybe um, the opportunity to contribute, but it's also a way to keep people away. There's a way of giving that some people use so they actually don't have to receive. Interesting, huh? Well, unpack that a little bit more. Well, think about receiving. It's difficult. It's sometimes difficult to let in. But if you're in control of the relationship, then you are being the giver to, then you don't actually have to open up, be vulnerable to possibly receive. There's a line we use a lot, um, and you've said it a lot on, I don't know if it's this podcast or, but when, what does it feel like when you help somebody else? Well, it feels amazing. 
right? So why wouldn't you give that same opportunity to someone else? That's in the, but that is in the case of people that just refuse or have a difficult time asking for help. Asking for help means you need to be able to be on the receiving end. There's a, yes, but there's a break. There's, there's what, that's an interesting point of entry in this conversation because we run and I'm sure our listeners have run into people. Maybe you're one of those people that go, yeah, it's hard for me to ask for help. And so the context I always frame for people is to then look at that and say, okay, you know, Stephanie, if let's, let's say you're that person, I would say to you, Stephanie, tell me something. How do you feel when you help somebody? Amazing. When somebody asks you for help, yeah. how do you feel? Honored. Yeah. You feel honored, don't yeah. you? That they would actually ask you for help in many cases, right? It means a lot. It means a lot. And you, you know, you look at that and you feel good about it. Do you feel good about helping people? hundred percent. Yeah. So why would you be so arrogant as to think you're the only person that deserves that feel good moment of mm -hmm. being able to help? Right. Because what if I'm showing weakness if I'm asking for help? Right. Mm. But on the other side of it, there's a person there that would be honored to help you. Somebody who cares for you, somebody who uh, who loves you, perhaps. I mean, at the end of the day, giving other people the opportunity to participate in your success or you uh, getting out of a funk or something that elevates you is, in fact, honoring somebody who wants to do the same thing and have the same experience you do, which is, gosh, I feel good when I get to help somebody. It's true. And um, there's also a state where, um, in my experience, that I've tried to help people and they're just not interested. So they have to be in request. Like, uh, good point. Yeah, you have to be in request. So I've had people tell me, you know, don't do that coach thing on me. I'm not interested. Like we can talk about politics or business or whatever, but don't be talking about my personal life. And I'm, I, I'm not that person, but I do ask questions. And for me, relationship means conversation. It's being heard. It's being a space to, to listen to be able to help people shift and, and maybe redefine an expectation about what they're expecting or they're assuming from that other person or situation. So a conversation is really about getting to know myself, my own values, and what I'm filtering through in order to be in relationship with somebody. So let's just talk a little bit about our relationship. So one of the things that you're great at, you're far better at being a an amazing wife than I am at being an amazing husband. That's, that's not true. Well, that's my that's my view of it. You don't you don't have you as the husband. I do. <laughs> that's true. I get to, I get to say that. So, but really, what you're really great at is looking after me. So, what you bring is, you know, what do you need? You know, it's it's you know, can I help you? Can I do this for you? You you know, you're you love to cook, so you're cooking meals and you're doing all of those things. But your real focus is on how do I look after my husband really, really well. But in the context for my life, when I define who I want to be, uh, first of all, as a human, as a woman, and as a wife, and as the relationship, I've defined that. And I think that's what's interesting maybe in for our listeners is that I'm not just a wife by default, because, you know, I said I do 30 some years or 20 some years ago, is that I actually chose you. You know, you said, will you marry me? But I still said yes. You know, I committed so that when I realized that my relationship, my marriage to you is my responsibility, your marriage to me is yours. And then it's up to the two of us in conversation to decide what the we is. The third entity in our life is our marriage. I didn't marry you for you to, you know, take all my stress away and swoop me off on a white charger. Solve all your problems. Solve all my problems. Oh, gosh. <laughs> That would take another lifetime. But ultimately, 
what do I want to bring and as the category of wife and I honor that word and I know it's probably not socially correct or whatever it's called these days but I have a definition of who I want to be as a wife and am I perfect no but I do know that I'm putting everything I can into that and as I get more feedback from you about what's working what's not working then I can continually to be responsible in that role that I have so let's go circle back to where you started that little segment. Little rant? No, well, it wasn't really a rant, but it was a, a nice little segment. But you said something that was quite interesting, which is you chose me. And, you know, most men that would be listening to this going, what are you talking about? I chose my wife. But the fact that you said yes is your choice. That's my choice. That's your choice. And it's an interesting context that some people don't really get. It's like, oh, yeah, she chose me. So when, you know, and for the women that are listening, the ladies that are listening, it really is, you know, you're choosing your husband when you say yes. You're making a choice. And it's your choice because you could choose to say no. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, that doesn't happen. But the point is, is that most people look at it and say, well, he married me. And then they become kind of, uh, you know, if the marriage breaks down, it, it's a different way of to look at it, right? But ultimately, she chose him yeah. most, and, in yeah. most cases. In most cases, or, or he chose he or she chose she. I mean, we're in Whatever. 2022. We have to be able to be responsible in the fact that we made a choice. Mm-hmm. Somebody asked the question. You said yes or no. What is your then responsibility to build out what that needs to look like for for me, what it had to look like for me is that I wanted to find a husband that I could support and empower, but who also would be sensitive and and caring and and you know supportive, etc. And then as we get to know each other over the years, the conversations evolve, and as our values change, I mean, we're into this. This is our third decade together, right? Yeah. So I'm not. I'm so grateful that I'm not the same woman you married. Because if I was, I don't know if we'd be together. Well, probably not. You know, I mean, I was awesome. Don't get me wrong. But I'm awesomer now because I'm evolving and I'm changing. And my expectations of myself and of you have shifted. And being responsible for that and going through each era, you know, of, you know, entrepreneurs, early marriage, you know, a honeymoon stage. Um, they call the seven year uh, itch, they call it, it's the four year itch now. I mean, things have accelerated. So people are going into relationships and maybe not getting the chance to communicate the things that matter to them in that particular context called marriage. Well, it's interesting that, you know, this is a, an interesting topic because you're right, you know, three decades in, we're where are we at? We're at this point in our life where things are different in terms of who we've evolved to be as a couple and as individuals. But, you know, there was a foundational moment. And number one, we did uh, right from day one, we were always doing the work. We were always consciously talking about and discussing. Reading. Who, reading who we are. We used to read, you know, Sunday mornings, we'd sit up in bed and have a coffee and we'd read some book or some chapter of a book. And, you know, really uh, it was, I don't want to say working on, but it was aligning in who we are within our relationship. And, you know, one of it's interesting, a pivotal moment that I think people say the words and others don't even realize it. And that is that there's still a context where we hear it in the language of some clients and some people that we talk to, which is, you know, this marriage is 50-50 and I'm doing way more than my 50%. You know, it's like, I'm doing all this work. I'm doing all these chores. She doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. And there's this 50-50 mentality. And very early on in our relationship, you brought it to the relationship and, and 
that was that there is no 50 50 100 100 it's 100 100 you bring 100 percent of you and they bring 100 percent of them and together you create the relationship but there's no 50 50 and if we go into a mentality of an expectation of 50 50 where we're you know splitting you know she does this he does that she does more he does less or but, the financial or the financial i, I gotta bring in 50 first couple years of our marriage i didn't bring in 50 percent mm-hmm. right and it was not uh equal balance maybe in some people's lives is like and now it's even i think more uh, there's the light is shine on more that you know both partners need to contribute 50 50 but if we didn't if we had that i don't know again if we would have lasted because we took turns there's times during our early on where you didn't take a paycheck from from pro skater i didn't take a paycheck probably until about 12 years ago really and we were running our businesses etc but if had we done that and said okay we eat i don't know like i don't know if i could have worked that hard at the beginning of building my business without your support you know that's a, an interesting part you know money is a big one and i just never i was always confident that we would have enough and although i would stress over money sometimes it was never stress over money like how come you're not making more and you know because i was always a believer in your ability to make income and and you know and we been fortunate to be high income earners for many, many years now. So money wasn't, is, is not been at the top of our list in terms of worries or concerns, although we're always have a concern about it, but it's mostly, I don't know, around businesses and surviving and paying people and making sure that the businesses are prosperous in that regard. But it was interesting about money. You know, this is, I want, I don't want to, I want to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole here because I heard this the other day and it's something that we set up right from the beginning around money. And that was, we had what we called our household account. And that was a central account that money went into. We both put money in and you put in more, or I put in more. It didn't really matter. This was our household account. And that stood for all the things it took to run our home. And as well, if we wanted to buy furniture one day or whatever, is there enough in the account? Or are we going to add to that account or whatever? Then we had our own personal accounts. And in those personal accounts, we're ours, whatever. You want to spend money, go blow your brains out. Yeah, I want to buy you a gift. As long as you want to buy me a gift. It was like separate credit cards. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting to this day that in this day and age still, there are women in this case, generally, that still don't have a credit rating. They have their husband's credit card. They don't have their own They don't actually realize card. that that doesn't build them a credit rating. Yeah. And if something ever yeah. happened, God forbid, there's no credit rating there. There's no record. There's no history. There's so no history. you got to be very careful about that. But I want to go down that because it just really briefly, I don't want to spend a bunch of time on it, but you have credit cards in your name. I was very, very driven to make sure that you got a great credit rating. And that has paid off many times over the years as we invested in real estate, et cetera. And, but you had your credit cards. I had mine. We had a household credit card. Mm-hmm. So that credit card, whatever we put on it was, it bought groceries, it bought furniture, it did whatever and it And the did. payments came out of that account. And the payments came out of that account. We didn't account. rob Peter to pay Paul. You know, that exactly. was something that we learned really early on and we aligned on is that we don't live above our means. Yeah, we've always lived, to this day, we live below our means. But the point is this, folks, is that if you're in a situation where you're having that kind of conversation, this is just a really simple, effective way to do it. And then ultimately, if I wanted to buy, that was what, and it took us a while to get that one handled, because if you wanted to buy me a gift or I wanted to buy you a gift, it just didn't make sense for it to come out of that household, household account. So, or, you know, we could also tell the story about how we decided we wanted to go on vacations. We started saving loonies. Yeah. It didn't go in. I mean, don't. no, it wasn't loonies. It was $2 it was bills. Oonies. Oh, $2, $2 bills. Oh my gosh. 
Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. I still have a couple of those. <laughs> anyway, our, we went on our very first trip to Mexico, paid four by $2 bills. Yeah. Just saving them. It was fun. Yeah, it was fun. So those were the days. But the point is around all of this is that these are conversations that many people sadly don't have is around money. And then they have an unstated expectation. So when we go back to the conversation about relationships, you know, first off, it is a hundred and hundred. You come into the relationship about what you can give, not what you can get. It's a great approach to doing that. And then having the conversation around money, which is such a it's a, it's a it's triggering for people. It's triggering for people. It's a charged conversation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting to, you know, have conversations with people that if you break it down for them and have the conversation of money, all of a sudden it kind of goes away because it's all on the table. And then, you know, if you have one of the partners making less than the other, then you have a conversation around, well, what does that look like? What does that represent? Does that mean that, you know, they can't, what does it mean? Like, oh, so they're not going to have as much money to spend on gifts for you? What, is it, what does it mean? <laughs> well, also, you know, we need to slow that down because the triggering part of money is that we're coming from different histories generally. And the the money conversation for some families is really grounded in shame. There's a lot of shame around money. And I've really noticed that over the years with my clients is that we could be talking about, you know, worthiness or this or that. But the minute we start working on the context for money, for example, you start to see where people's shame statement lives about there's not enough, there's not enough, I'm not worthy, I can't bring it, I can't make money, there's not enough. The not enough trigger in relationship permeates everything, not just the money conversation. Where do you not value yourself around uh, your contribution in the partnership? Well, so this is interesting. Let's tell a quick story here because as listeners know, Stephanie worked in the NHL with... Uh, the Oilers with St. Louis Blues, and then with individual players for many, many years. But the point is, is that early on in our relationship, as much as it, I would never had a jealous bone in my body because I trusted her so much. I mean, imagine, you know, you were young, fit, athletic, working with young, rich, fit, athletic men. Yeah, that's true. I was. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> and I was young once. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. We were both young once. <laughs> so the point is, is that there are were times where, you know, first off, we we joke about it. I was never jealous. And people would go, how do you let your wife do that? It was, it was, let uh, your wife. Yeah, that's yeah, funny, yeah, right? right? Especially like, now. And I go, what are you talking about? So anyways, the point is, is that through this is that although I never felt jealous, there were times where I, I would go, I will never, ever meet up, you know, like I will never meet an expectation of a, you know, young, fit, multi-millionaire hockey player, right? And so that's, a that's you know, you're, you're setting and hanging out in that environment. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting about that environment because what you brought home was not a comparison. What you brought home was a benchmark and the opportunities that you know, existed for your business within that environment. And the relationships we we met, oh, the we, people that we met, we just, the it was stories, yeah. it was incredible. Years but of the stories. funny thing is, and I guess what really collapsed it for me was the time when I was working with a player and he was he was going through negotiations and he was going to go from a $1.3 million contract to a $5 million contract. And I remember thinking is like, okay, so what's going to change in his lifestyle? And you know what happened? I look back two or three years after that and all that happened is that he and his wife 
increase their lifestyle to a $5 million lifestyle. Yeah. Everything just increased. So not like they, just because they made more money didn't mean they had more money to spend. Yeah. So one of the things I learned as, as we started to generate different levels of revenue and income and, and learn about real estate, especially investing and mortgage buy down and all the, the things that we learned in real estate is that money still has to work for you. There still has to be that money conversation about, okay, well, yes, we're making this much money, but I don't want to live to that. Because what if I'm not making that next year? Well, let me give you a little story. So this was some wisdom that was passed on to me by Paul Coffey, who I worked with for many years off and on. And, you know, I was driving him back. They were in town for game day. I don't remember who he was playing with at the time, but I want to say... Oh, he, this is Boston. No, he was rooming with somebody who just oh, got... Oh, Pittsburgh. 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 Who, yeah, who yeah, got yeah. a big contract. Lemieux, um, what was his name? Scott Stevens got There's a big somebody, contract. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. Look anyway. at us name dropping again. Yeah, like, Whoa. Like, I don't remember. The, the point <laughs> is, is, as I'm talking to Paul on the way back, it was somebody who had just signed a big contract, record-breaking contract. And I said to Paul, I go, geez, you know, how much money do you guys got to make? And he goes, funny. He says the, and this is where he passed on is only Paul. Paul's very dry, not expressive at all. He goes. <laughs> He's pretty funny though. He goes, you know something? The more you make, the more you got to make. And I didn't really get it. Like this was many years ago, right? So imagine, you know, Paul was still playing. So that's what the, many years ago that was. But anyways, the point is, is that I didn't really get it. And then over time, as I got to know a couple of other players, and then one particular player, I won't use his name, he was going through a divorce. And I remember he said, I'm driving into my driveway in Phoenix. He was playing for Phoenix at the time. He goes, as I'm driving down my long driveway to my house. He says, I see, you know, the gardener. I then see the pool boy. Then I see somebody doing something with the plants. And, you know, I realized then I walk in the house and, you know, the maid is finishing cleaning and up the house. The nanny. And and he's going, I'm realizing that I'm slowly going broke. And his wife, who he had broken down the relationship with, this goes, that's the Whole point of the story, story yeah. is that here's this couple power couple making multi-millions of dollars. And that's when it occurred to me what Paul said, the more you make, the more you need to make. And that is because ultimately, especially young hockey players that are making millions, their lifestyle goes up in, you know, in uh, relative not, to necessarily, their not necessarily no. in relation to their salaries. Nope. It sometimes goes above. And if you have in your relationship, like this particular player was, who is now going through at the time was going through a divorce, the, the simple fact was they had no context for money and the, and the relationship broke, broke down because he was coming home, you know, and I don't know, maybe she was having an affair with the pool boy or the gardener or <laughs> some make other, up all the story. You, you know, well, who knows? But the yeah. point is, is that the next thing you knew, he couldn't even play and get big enough contracts to cover the shortfalls that were showing up in the lifestyle. And whether they consciously or unconsciously made those decisions, they increased the, the, the cost of living to the point where you know, they didn't maybe check in and say, okay, maybe we should slow this down and look about the future. They had no context. No context They for had it. no context. Or no conversation. Or no conversation. That yeah. goes back to the conversation and communication. So let's go back just in all of this, folks, is that, you know, the point of these kind of stories and some of the insights that were shared here today is that it really is about communication. And some of these conversations, if you've never had that with your significant other, is uh, they're, they're challenging because they feel like they're confrontational and it doesn't have to be confrontational. It's about mutual understanding. And in this case of money, mutual understanding about, well, no, we bring a hundred and a hundred to the relationship. It's not like, you know, sometimes I could look and go, well, yeah, you don't do 
half the stuff I do around this property that we live in. You know, like I work way harder. If I live, like if I lived in that headspace. We wouldn't be together. We, well, we couldn't be, no. you know? And so that's the thing is if you're keeping score, yeah. which many do, um, I haven't been a scorekeeper, I don't think, for ever. I know. It's like blue lists and pink lists and all these things that people do to keep them, you know, and to me, they think that's communication. To me, that's division. Yeah. That's division of labor that, you know, sometimes I want to pick up dog poop and I do and you do it mostly. But ultimately, we have the things that we're really great at and then we really support each other with. And then at the same time, I wouldn't want to. I, I don't know how to fix the well, I know, pool but pump. You, you, but you sometimes come out to ask if you can help. And I always think <laughs> she's just going to get hurt. <laughs> right. so, so I'm, go home and cook. Go, go home, little lady. And I'll come clean up the kitchen. <laughs> so anyways, so, you know, through all of this, you know, the fundamental around relationship is going to be communication and lay these things on the table. And, you know, something that we do within the shift program is we, one of the first exercises we do with our clients is to create a context for living. Now, what is the context for living, which is looking at the seven areas of your life and in the case of relationship, because you said it, mm -hmm. you have a context for who you are as a wife. Yeah. And it's actually evolved over 30 years. Of course. And I really get that when we walk people through this, they get so stuck because they said, well, that's not what I am. That's not who I am today. But, you know, I wasn't that 30 years ago, but I did want to be an a, a equal contributor. I wanted to be a safe place. I wanted to be vulnerable. I wanted to be supportive. I wrote down a bunch of words of the kind of person and wife I wanted to be because I very... I took that on, you know? But it's interesting what you just said, because we just had an experience over the weekend with... Uh, family. And within the context of that family, it was, you know, you just said you wanted to be a, a kind of an equal partner financially because you were always driven to make money. It was one of the things. But of course, we're talking to a family member this weekend who's, no, that's not my job. You know, my job is to make sure the house and the kids and everything around the house and the kids in our life is looked after so he can go be the best person he can be and have the space to create the business and the and not worry about that stuff know and that not, it's going to be handled in no, a way that's it so that's a great equal partnership we yeah. i had a friend years ago oh but but just so we don't step over oh. but along the way She's built a credit rating. She's mm -hmm. building a credit rating. She's, you know, that she will be independent or she is independent in that regard. So I think that's important. But because, that's the next layer of conversation yeah. down that a lot of people don't know or don't think they have to, or they assume it or step o or step over the conversation. Because like you said, it can feel confrontational. I remember a woman saying to me 20 some years ago is that her husband, she said to her husband, honey, you make the living, go make the living. I'll make the living worthwhile. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was their agreement. Did I agree with it at the time? No, but she had skills that were phenomenal. Mm -hmm. She could renovate and decorate and, 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 and change the oil in the glass uh, lawnmower. And I'm like, wow. So as we develop our skills and bring those skill sets to the relationship, then to communicate through, okay, you know what? I can take this off your plate right now. I evolved. I learned this. I can bring in more money or I can actually slow down and I want to take some time to raise the kids. And that's really what, but that again comes down to values conversations. And if we're not expressing our values and especially as we grow and change and our driving values change and all of a sudden something is more important than dot 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 
and we don't express that, then we're living into an old story. And that is where things get in trouble. And I always, I joke, I shouldn't joke, but that's why the midlife crisis, I call it, it's why a lot of people have affairs and buy Corvettes, mm-hmm. you know, because they're not staying on top of what's going on in their own backyard. And relationship is a conversation. So the best way to fix that problem is look outside of yourself. Oh, right. Exactly. <laughs> an affair and a Corvette. But yeah. I always remember, no matter where you go, there you are. I love that statement, though. That's an interesting statement that could be, we could do a whole show around that statement that you made. You go and make, you, you go, what did you, what was it again? It said, hun, you go make the living and I'll make it worthwhile. And I'll make it worthwhile. I think that's really cool because you could. And it could go both ways. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. I love it. So it's really, really cool. So folks, hopefully you saw and heard, or not saw, but heard some insights into. Oh, speaking of saw, I think we're going to be someday evolving this podcast. We are. We're going to evolve it into video. I did launch a YouTube uh, channel called the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. And uh, we need some likes and followers. Yeah, we do. Likes and followers. (laughs) I'm number six. Check it out. And then uh, we'll be doing some video uh, in the new year. We're just setting that up and going to have some fun with that. So, folks, thanks for listening. Stephanie, thank you. That was fun. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time... Patrick out.